0: Welcome to Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and uh, we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And uh, we were just on a radio show last night, and uh, we'll uh, put up the archive of that later on the network. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm realizing that so much has been left out of church unity. Uh, the religiosity of the modern religious communities that uh, is right there in the gospel. I mean, it's just staring you right in the face. It's, it's you know, like I point out many times, Christ only gave a few places where he gave specific instructions. Uh, and they are completely disregarded by most pastors, ministers, priests, Uh and, you know, there's hardly a reason why you can imagine that they would leave these things out. I mean, they're direct statements. Directly by Christ. And if you believe Jesus, then you have to believe those statements are true. And that he wasn't kidding. That he really meant them. But people don't seem to uh, to put that together in in their minds. Because we have... Uh, brutish pastors, shepherds, nice guys who are constantly leading the people astray. And it is absolutely essential that your ministers, your pastors, your whatever you want to call them, know where Jesus was taking the people. He was taking them somewhere else other than where they had been going. And that required that they repent, which means to turn around, not just turn around physically, but turn around their thinking and begin to think a different way. That's what repentance is. Repent and seek this kingdom of God, which is at hand, which is a government of the people for the people and by the people where you cannot exercise authority one over the other. But you still are a government that provides the benefits of government. But you do it through faith rather than force. Uh, Through hope rather than entitlements. And through love and charity. You know, when Jesus said the word that we see as charity, when Paul talks, when Jesus says it, they translate it love. When Paul says it, they translate it charity. It's the same word. And so what was the early church doing? They, The early church, they would give give some money for the building fund. They would give some money uh, so that they could redecorate the altar. And they would give some money so that they could... Uh, put up a really beautiful statue in front of the church? No. Those that had were sharing with those that didn't have because there was no social welfare for Christians because they couldn't go to the fathers of the earth, the the senators of Rome, the Herods of this world, the Canes of this world, the Nimrods of this world, the mighty providers instead of the Lord. They had to go to each other. And through a communion of faith, hope, and charity, which is love, they established a daily ministration to take care of the needy of their society. This is what bound Christians together. Now, the way they did it was in what we call the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Ten ten families got together. They picked a minister who was... Dedicating his life, or at least part of his life, to the service of his uh, of the people, to the service to the tabernacles of the congregation, to the homes, to the tents of the congregation. He was dedicating some of his time to bring these ten people together in charity, which is to bring them together in love. This meant that, you know, I mean, you have all the needs of government because they they could be attacked they could have uh, uh economic failure the member of their family be- could become sick or die my wife was injured just recently uh, a couple of weeks now uh, actually during the show <laughs> i had to interrupt the show right in the middle of the show and go um she's on the men's she's getting around a little bit but she can't go she hadn't been outside the front door uh, she's been in a wheelchair for almost two weeks, uh, but she's getting better and she's healing up. Well, other people are picking up the slack, providing for what she would normally do. Well, what what if I broke my back, fell and broke my back, or was gored by a bull or something like that? I've I actually have been attacked by a cow before. And out of that came while I was mending with my broken rib, I wrote the uh, articles on the red heifer Um, because it was a red heifer that (laughs) broke my ribs and uh, baptized me in the river (laughs) and tried to go swimming with me at the same time. I just actually saw her recently. We still have her. And uh, was sorting her out with the other cows. And uh, my my son saw me going up there and she was, I was in the midst of the cows and the bulls and everything in this corral uh, with my little whip and uh, sorting them out with a stick, you know. And uh, this one suddenly appeared there kind of sideways staring at me and my son says, be careful, Dad, that's a red heifer you've already met. (laughs) She isn't a heifer now, she's a big cow. But, uh, Yeah, she was kind of looking at me, but (laughs) Uh, I could have been gored or injured or killed even. So what would happen to, you know, most of my kids now are grown, but when they were small, what would happen? If if I and my wife were killed in an automobile accident uh, with six children, who would take care of them? Well, some of my family members would probably step up, uh, maybe. Uh, Maybe not. I don't know. It didn't happen, so I can't say for sure. But what about the church? Would the church step up and help? Would we give them the means by which they could step up and help? In other words, who's going to come is going to be the state. The state's going to want to come and take your children. And the state's values are different than my values today. I mean, it used to be America had... You know, a government that had a certain amount of values and and uh, virtue because the people did. But now, the vast number of Americans do not have the virtues of Christ. Even the Christians are not doing what Christ said, those specific instructions. As a matter of fact, they're doing very much contrary to what Christ said. And they are doing very much what the Pharisees did. They are... They have a system of Corbin that is making the Word of God to none effect. And and many other things they also do that are contrary to the commandments, contrary to the ways of Christ. But they call themselves Christians because their shepherds do not know the way. They do not know the way. That's what Christianity was called, the way. Now it's called Christianity. But it's not real Christianity. That's just a label. You just put on it, you know, like a symbol. And so, what was that Christian community? How was it put together? How was it taking care of one another? What was it doing that uh, that uh, we may not be doing today? And that—that's really what the. Uh, so we've been putting together a page that talks about this, the the sense of community. You can find it at preparing you. And uh, and we're talking about how did that early church operate, and is the church today operating the way that that early church operated? I actually it was on a group that was uh, first century church Christian supposedly. But it wasn't. It was mostly women. And they, they really didn't understand what the first century church was. You know, there's a lot of times people talk uh, specifically women, but not always women. I see preachers doing the same thing. and Ministers doing the same thing. Where they talk about Jesus, how they love Jesus. They just... He's so good to me. I, I love Him. And they have this kind of lovey sounding voice and it may be genuine, but it may be applied, in other words forced, because they want to believe that Jesus loves them. And of course, Jesus does love them, but much of what they feel may not be the love of Jesus. They're actually conjuring up an emotional feeling so they don't have to see the truth about how they fall short of the love of Christ. Because the love of Christ is not that Christ loves you. But that you love others as Christ loved you. The fact that He loves you, that doesn't get you anything. That doesn't get you anywhere. Because He can't even forgive you. If you won't forgive others. How can He give you if you will not give to others how can you receive his grace if you will not give grace to others i mean he had huge parables where he goes into great detail about how how the master forgave this one individual who owed so much but then he found that individual not forgiving others did he say oh well i'll forgive that too and i just let you get away with that no he cast him into a dark pit He's telling you how it works. He's warning you. Because as many as He loves, He also rebukes. I must do the same. If you are not forgiving others, neither will you be forgiven. If you are not extending grace to others, neither will you have grace. You know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. People are always complaining today about rights, and they're infringing on my rights, and they're taking my rights. But in reality, they've been taking the rights of others. If they went to public school, they forced all their neighbors to contribute to their free education. At the point of a gun. Now they didn't carry the gun. They have, you know, policemen and sheriffs who carry the gun, and they have judges who, you know, issue a decree that this individual has not paid his uh, the publicans, the tax collectors. And therefore, we are going to take his house away from him. Because he did not pay for the use of his house. Because he doesn't own his house, he has to pay the, for the use of it. He has the legal title, but that does not include ownership. We've gone through all this. And you can, you know, this is just the law. I, I didn't make it up. That's That's the definition. Legal title is only an apparent title. It carries with it no beneficial interest. The beneficial interest is the right to use the property. So, therefore, you own a house. You don't own the house. You own the legal title. And the legal title says you don't own the house itself. You have the right to use it, but you must pay the use of it tax. You don't pay the use tax, they take it away. Well, the, the governments of the world have gone around and said okay, well, you have to pay a use tax. Let's add to that use tax. Let's let's put up a public school and put it on the tax rolls. Let's put up a fire department, put it on the tax rolls. And let's you know create a water district and we'll put it on the tax rolls. And everybody within that area must pay the tax or they lose their home. And when you want to add a swimming pool to your public school or whatever it is, you know, or a new building, it's going to be on the tax rolls. But that system is based on force. You're forcing your neighbor and legally so, forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. Christianity was the antithesis of that. If they had a need, they had to fulfill it by faith, hope, and charity. If you don't do it that way, you will not be free. You simply will not be free. Why? Because you have chosen the common purse, the one purse system, where you all have one purse and then you legislate how much you're going to take from each individual. But of course, you're you're trapped in the very net of your own making. That's what Proverbs says. You're trapped in the very net of your own making. Now, how do you get out? You have to forgive the benefit that you could have received. You have to homeschool. You have to do home health. I don't know how many times people have said, "Well, you're going to go to the doctor with uh, your wife's injury." You know, well, no, she didn't want to go to the doctor. She didn't. She didn't want. You know. Besides, we're we're not stupid. We've spent a long time learning. You know, we can run rings around some of the doctors when they tell you stuff. They say, well, and that isn't really true, isn't it, this? And they go, well, yeah, but we usually do it this way because then we can give you these prescribed medicines from the pharmaceutical company. <laughs> they don't explain it out that way, but that's what it comes down to. they, When you, you finally corner them, they often say, yeah, well, yeah, it'll, it'll just get better if you do this and this and this but therapy's important. Well, my my daughter knows therapy, physical therapy. She she's very sensitive to those things. She understands how that works. She's studied it. So she's been over here, you know, putting my wife on the rack. <laughs> she just has this um tower thing that she uses to 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 put her leg up in certain angles and does certain exercises so we're already doing therapy and then of course i use essential oils and i lay hands on and and it's healing rather rapidly but our biggest fear is that she's going to get overzealous and do something more than she should and injure it again <laughs> but uh you know we we use these things But we also invest in one another, our time, our energy, our knowledge on how to do this. You've heard us talk about how we've taken care of elderly. We've got the same minister, help me up here, is now working in Sacramento. They have, some of our people have an uncanny ability to bring healing to a situation. But healing is a two-way thing. You have to be willing to receive the light of that healing or you cannot receive the whole thing back to that forgiveness. If you do not forgive, neither will you be forgiven. The same power that heals you, you must have for others. This is why we gather together. So that we can serve one another. Because in serving others, we are served. And Christ has many statements and parables about that very thing. So, you know, one of the reasons I wrote this, uh, and it's still a work in progress, I added a lot to it early this morning, around 4, and um, added more to it yesterday. Um, And that the guys who go in there and proofread for errors are probably going to be all upset because they have to read it again. (laughs) That's good. It's good to repeat these things. This is because every time you do with a you're in another moment, in another time. And in that new moment in time, you may see things you didn't see a week ago, or a month ago, or a year ago. Now, how do you get that sight, or the insight, to see things today that you couldn't see before? That's a gift. And why does that gift come? Because you forgive and give. You invest in one another. In the way that Christ invested in you. He laid down his life. And you must lay down your life for others. You don't have to go out. Get crucified necessarily right away. You may give up some time. And energy. Or funds. or, Or a facility or something. You give that up in hopes to help others. To serve others. Christ came to serve. So, when you do that, you come in the name of Christ and something mystical takes place. Now, at the beginning of this article on sense of community, which is preparing you, it it says, at least today it says, because a man's inherent uh, agrarian nature, he may need a sense of community. You know we're we're kind of herd animals. We we need other people. Now some people try to get around that and become a bit recluse, but usually it becomes a disadvantage when you do that. You be, you can actually become mentally ill if you avoid other people all the time. So it talks about a sense of community is a feeling that members have of belonging, a feeling that the members matter to one another and to the group. And a shared faith that members' needs will be met through their commitment to be together. Now, that's one definition of a psychologist's view of the sense of community. Well, a High desert f- band of sheep that live on the range, the open range, not the fenced flocks that you see, like the Hamps and uh, and uh, and Suffolk and other breeds like that, who have been fenced for generation upon generation. But the range sheep that go out there where are, there are coyotes and mountain lions and and bobcats they have a sense of community. They they actually gather together. And they, they have that ingrained in them from generation to generation. And this is why God uses the idea of sheep and shepherds to try to explain the kingdom of God. That these sheep come together on their own. And I've said this before where you'll see you know, hundred sheep out grazing on the desert. And it looks like they're just all over the place sometimes. And the reality is, if you look, you'll see groups of seven to ten sheep together. I mean, they're close to each other. And there's another group over here and another group over here. You could just draw circles on, on the desert and there they would be. And if a coyote comes into the field or a danger, they all come together. But when they're out grazing, they're actually watching other sheep that are in their group. They, they have their eye on it. Because if any one of them sees a danger, they will make a move that everybody will alert to. Because they don't make a lot of noise. But they actually get quiet when there's danger. And then they move together. They all run towards each other. They're drawn towards each other by that danger present in the field. The shepherd doesn't have to gather them up. They will gather themselves up. They will pull themselves together. And the sheep will face in a circle. When there really is a danger around, they'll face in the circle outwardly. And they'll stand shoulder to shoulder outwardly in a big ring with sheep in the interior, lambs in the interior. And they will face the danger. They just do this. Now, farm flocks, they don't do that. They they scatter easily. They run, And the coyote knows it. He wants to get right in there and split the herd and make them panic and run in every direction. And you can do it very easily with farm flocks. Flocks that have been fenced in for generation after generation. But range sheep, they will... They will come together rapidly. The more predators, the more likely it is they will do that. They've simply learned that. We've unlearned that. Because we don't have that sense of community. We're going to talk more about this when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. In order to control the people, you must make the the people dependent upon you. Nimrod understood this. Cain understood this, and uh, and you know the uh, Orwell knew this. Uh, in uh, the book 1984, uh, he shows how they create fear to draw the people together, and of course now. You, you can herd sheep with uh border collies. Which we call the black and white units. You can send those sheep, that border collie out. And that sh- he will imitate, because he's a canine, <laughs> a coyote. And he will bring the sheep together in order to get them to go somewhere. He just has to go over on this side and they'll go that way. He goes over on this side and they go that way. And he can circle around them. He doesn't want to split them up. He wants to bring them together and move them in a particular direction by raising that level of fear. When I go out and get the sheep in the evening, uh here I have to move them across a road and down a driveway and into another pen. Uh I go out and I call them. I have to actually take the border collie and tell him to go get up on the cart. <laughs> I don't want him in the field because he gets the sheep too worked up and they're full of lambs now. And we don't want them running around and falling over, or, you know, gathering too in any kind of a panic. But they, they hear me call and they start coming together because they understand the routine, the pattern. People of the world today, they've lost the pattern. The way. They don't remember how it's done in a free society. They actually think that they'll be free if they elect some leader. And in the Bible, they tell you that when you elect a leader, a ruler, someone who can exercise authority in order to help protect your freedoms, that he's going to end up taken and taken and taken and taken and taken and taken. And, taking and, taking. and you're not going to have your freedoms. You're going to cry out because of the burdens he puts on you. They tell you that. They also, you know, they tell you in the Bible, you know, five things to write down and repeat every day to your leaders to protect your freedoms under God. And you won't find those in almost any constitution, those five things. And they're just basic, basic um Ideas about politics, about contract, about governments. You know, like I, I said on the radio show where I was a guest that, uh, you know, religion is mentioned only a few times in the Bible, but government is mentioned hundreds of times. Yet they think the book is about religion exclusively. And of the five times they mention religion, only one time do they mention it in a good sense. And they're talking about how you take care of one another. Because how you take care of one another is going to give you a sense of community. It's going to give you a certain sense of community. Because if you take care of one another by forcing the contributions of one another in you know, that one purse or when you sit and eat with a ruler... If you do it that way, it will give you a sense of community, but that sense will be a sense of control and dictation. A dictation, dictatorial powers over you. Because you wanted dictatorial powers over your neighbor, you're going to be dictated to yourself. In in nature... People are members of families and those families may form, you know, clans and, you know, through marriage and through the community, uh, through common interaction, you know, facing difficult times or whatever. They will develop certain bonds with one another just as a community because, you know, when somebody, you know, tried to break into my house, you know, you were there. But, of course, you're not there anymore. You, you often won't even call the police. You're not there for one another. You don't need to. You've got the government do it. So, the only bonds, everybody becomes bonded to the government. They get, become banded to the government, dependent upon the government. The government becomes the father of their household. And When they're going to get married, they don't go ask permission of their father. They go ask permission of the state because the state is their father. Because it has the power to say, yes, you can get married. Yes, we will take care of your children. But in in the natural family, uncles and aunts and grandfathers uh, and granduncles, they're the ones who take care of you in time of need. When you're born and, and your mother first gives you uh, nurse and nourishment, You stare up at your mother's face. And there are bonds created there. But then when you want to go learn something, they send you off to school. And now you have bonds somewhere else. Institutional bonds. You look to the school. You don't look to your mother. You don't look to your father. As a matter of fact, they're dummies. They don't even understand common core math. And so you get out of the habit of looking to the family. You don't look to the family. You don't need the family. Family doesn't need you. When the parents are old, the state will take care of them. And you you have to do no more aught for your parents. That was the system of Corbin. You get out of the habit of liberty until you think that license is liberty. Benefits is liberty. To do what you want because... You can get your benefits from the government. It ultimately collapses and decays, but for the time being, people are more comfortable. They don't have to, they're farm flocks. They don't have to come together. The fence is protecting them. There's no coyotes running through the field, there's no mountain lions jumping the fence and they get used to that protection and addicted to that protection so this natural family unit has usually has a leader which is the head of the family he's the one who's given life to the children he is he is provided food and lodging for them as they were growing up and so that when they are older The parents are older. The children will honor them. Honor means to fatten. In that case in Hebrew. Honor thy father and the mother. Doesn't mean obey. It means to fatten. To take care of. Why do you do that? So that your children will see you do that. And your days will be long upon the land. Because your children will take care of you. They will have that habit. Today... They put them in nursing homes and the government pays ridiculous amounts of money to take care of the people. And nursing homes get very expensive because they know they're going to have this money coming in. And you don't know how to take care of your parents. you've, You've lost that skill because you've abandoned the ways of Christ. The ways of Moses the ways of the Ten Commandments. You don't honor your father and your mother. You turn them over to the state and you do no more ought for them. Oh, you might do a little bit. I mean, it's like the churches. They all do a little bit of charity. But 200 years ago, the church was all the charity you would get. You didn't get it from the government. You got it from the church. And so the church had influence over your life because the church was this institution of service to take care of the needs of your family and yourself in hard times. In the ancient Latin culture, uh, the power of the father, what they called the patria potestas, was inherent in his personal power to command his family. They called that the imperium. But the empire... That power is vested in the Patronus, our father who art in Rome, or Washington, D.C., or Ontario, Canada, or or London, England, wherever your father is located. The fathers of the earth, they're located in capitals. And they decide what is good and evil for you. Because your father doesn't have the imperium, the potestas, the power to decide anymore. He's given that over to the state. And that power that he's given over to the state corrupts the state. And and you become more and more vulnerable, more and more in need of that power and control because you can't take care of one another. So if you want to be free, you have to take back the responsibility that you gave to the patronus of the state, the fathers of the state. You have to take back the responsibility. You can't just take back the right. You don't get that back for a number of reasons, which we won't go into right here. But you can't just get that. You can't dissolve the bands which have connected you with another because you haven't taken back your responsibilities. And those bands were created because you weren't doing what Christ said to do, what John the Baptist said to do. When you had a need, you did not go to your neighbor who might have two coats and ask him for a coat. He said, I have no coat. You went to the government. I need help with educating my children. Why didn't you go to church and say, I want to educate my children, but I don't want to force my neighbor to pay for my child's schooling. I want to do this by faith, hope, and charity. So let's start a school here. And you help us. We'll do most of the classes at home. So we don't need a big, huge, giant building. We can just gather in the church when we need to do things together. We will help each other learn how to create a curriculum. There's all kinds of them around now. So that our children will learn the values. And and of course, it says that in the Bible. Fathers teach their sons. And by doing that, your family becomes Bonded one to another. The children get into the habit of looking to their parents and the elders of their community for guidance. They don't look to the state. They don't force the state to pay for their education. They look to one another. They do the same in meats. In other words, in social welfare. They do the same in health. They lay hands on one another and take care of one another. In order to do this in a community, families must come together without sacrificing that imperium, that power of the father. So they have to come in free assemblies. The family in ancient times was often compromised by social compacts or contracts, transferring allegiance from the natural head of the family to a head of a community. And they often did this in exchange for benefits from the community. Entitlements. They sat and ate with rulers. And sometimes with great appetite. And became extremely dependent upon those rulers to provide them with benefits. These are the men who exercise authority one over the other. They call themselves benefactors, but they only give you what they take away from others. We have become addicted to that. So we have to turn around and walk another way. We have to gather our every congregational meeting, every free assembly of the people is virtually has certain aspects of an AA meeting. Hi, I'm Steve. I was addicted to benefits. I, you know, at a very small age, I became drunk on public education. <laughs> that's, that's what you've done. And it has divided the flock in ways that are invisible because when you see that range flock out there sticking together in this field... You don't see a rope going from sheep to sheep. But they're invisibly tied together as a flock. And when danger comes, they will all come together. But in the farm flock, they don't. They scatter. When you put them out there, they they each one goes and looks, How can I fill my belly? Now, you take one of those farm flock and you put it with rain sheep and you will make a lots of work for your shepherd. Because <laughs> he will be constantly leaving the ninety and nine to go find this other one. And this, uh, this farm flock one will lead them astray. And all of you who have listened for a long time have heard all the stories of Korah the sheep who lead, uh, lead the other sheep astray. But to bind one another with contracts, social compacts, constitutions, it hampers your motion. Now, we've taken goats out who did not stick together, did not have that herd instinct, dairy goats. In order to move them down the road, we would actually tie a rope to their collars. They all had collars on them. And we'd tie the rope from one collar to the next so that it was like four or five goats tied together. And then we'd start moving them down. And then one would try to run off this way and he would pull on the other four <laughs> goats. Or one would try to run that way and he'd pull pull on the other four goats. And so they were constantly banging, but they would tangle the rope up. It would get tangled up in their horns and you'd have to go and untangle them and get them... They would never seem to move together as one. The rope actually got in the way of getting them to move together as one. But there was no other way to do it at that time safely because they would run every different direction and unless you had you were a really good runner. You weren't going to keep them together. But those are goats. You'd never try that with sheep. They'd be falling all over. Actually, I have done that with rams. You know, where... I rope a couple of rams and then I tie them together. But it was when I had rams that didn't know each other. Now, all I have to do is catch one ram <laughs> and the others will follow. They will stay close to each other. And sometimes we don't even do that. We just move them out and move them down to where they have to go. They They've learned the routine. But you haven't. You've learned the routine of Nimrod. The routines of Babylon. You have become farm flocks. Dependent upon the benefits. You say, well, I don't, I don't go to public school. You did. Maybe you don't send your kids to public school. But you still haven't learned the ways of Christ. The ways of Christ is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's going to give you a sense of community. So how do we do that? How do we go about that? The whole family and the natural liberty of the individual within the family was comprised of these, uh, by these uh, contracts, compromised, excuse me, by these contracts which could be implied or executed. These contracts, these social compacts in states like Nimrods, Sodom and Gomorrah, and all these city-states of ancient times, and and nations today. You, you're always signing something in order to get benefits. Sign up for this, sign up for that. And it's compromising your individual rights and authority. Now you say, well, I just want to unsign. Well, it's not always that simple. You have to change to the antithesis of what you were. You were covetous and you became merchandise. You were covetous and practiced covetousness and cursed your children with debt. And your parents did this and cursed you with debt. So now how do you get out? Only by the grace of God can you be saved. Through Christ. But you have to actually do what Christ said, which is to love one another. And again, the word love that Jesus was using when Paul used it, it's charity. So love is not just sitting there thinking nice things about people. Thinking, oh, I just love Jesus. Jesus just loves me. But it's actually giving of your time, your energy, your resources to others. Because Christ didn't just come down and talk about giving His life for you. He actually gave His life for you. So if you're going to be like Christ, you have to give your life for others. And that's not a problem if you really love Christ. As a matter of fact, you can't help but do it. You will want to get up and do it. So what? how do we get the sense of community? Congregations, uh, from the view of the church established by Christ, are free assemblies of families. There's no, there's no membership that binds you one to another that we could put our finger on. There's no rope tying you from one to another. There's no legal binding contract that binds you together. But in that family, the family represented by the head or the natural head of the family, the father of the family, who's often the eldest member of a family, still living, identified as this thing we call an elder, Within the family, there is naturally imposed authority and allegiance upon uh, the membership of the individuals of that family to the head of that family, because he's the one who gave you life. He's the one who provides for you. You eat at my table, you eat in my house, you do things by my rules. It's just natural. He is the hierarchy of the family, and, and And the eldest sons, they become part of that hierarchy. Higher doesn't mean higher, H-I-G-H-E-R. It means like being an heir to the power. You know, when I go out, I may say, you're in charge. When my kids were little, the eldest was usually the one in charge. And everybody had to listen to them as if it was me until I get back. And then if they didn't do a good job, they'd hear from me. To maintain this natural freedom of the individual uh, when families are gathering together, different families gathering together, one must consider the dangers and pitfalls in attempting to obtain this sense of community. While gathering in a congregation, certain priorities and principles should be considered to avoid an unhealthy infringement upon the individual's liberty. In other words you have to care about others rights and liberty as much as you care about your own. One does not want to belong to a congregation because the act of belonging may reduce the you know our natural liberties from an individual to a person A person is a member by definition and you want to avoid that. Compromise. Now we we use terms like belong. I belong to this congregation. Not necessarily a good way to say it, but it can be okay to say it that way. In other words, what it isn't belong to that congregation? I belong with this congregation because this is just a free assembly, and this is, you know, when we gather in our free assemblies, we choose to gather with this group, and so that if, if everybody was gathering. At a big meeting, they would gather with this group because this group is used to working together. They're a team. And this will give them a certain sense of community. But we want, it's the individual belonging to Christ, belonging to the Father that the congregation needs to be trying to do. In order to do this, you must respect the rights of others to choose. Many will choose wrongly from time to time. They will have certain philosophies, ideologies that may not be 100% accurate. And we're going to get into this idea of, you know, these factors of a Christian community, which are membership, influence, integration, and fulfillment of needs, and shared connections. And, you know, I haven't finished writing about all of it, but membership alone is broken down into uh, attributes. Membership has certain boundaries that include certain criteria for membership. Now, what are those those attributes so that we do not infringe upon that potestas, the power of the family, where we we do not want to compromise the family? Other attributes that will contribute to that membership is a sense of security and safety. But Christ didn't come to be safe. He came to save others. Now that seems like a minor little difference, but it's it's major because we're not gathering together so that we feel safe, but so that we will save others. That has that is coming in the name of Christ. The sense of belonging and identity. It's the identity of Christ. Personal investment. That's what Christ did. Love one another, feed my sheep. And then finally, common symbols and systems. We'll talk about all this next on Keys of the Kingdom. Stay tuned. God, that we're supposed to be seeking, uh, there was a union and discipline amongst the Christians that was so dramatic that it frightened the emperors. It frightened the government. Frightened frightened the judges of the empire, which were usually the imperial judges. We would call them federal judges today. Because these people were so united, so independent, so fiercely independent, when I say fiercely, I mean they were dedicated, that uh, the, the, the government was actually frightened by these people. But they couldn't really come against them because they were people of peace. And they were often supported by the local community. Why were they so supported by the local community? In In, in the center of Rome... Which was, you know, not unlike Washington D.C. It, was, it had become extremely socialistic. Over half the people of Rome were on the government dole uh, during some of the Caesars. In other words, they completely depended upon government handouts. I mean, there are there are lots of places uh, today uh, where more than half, far more than half of the people are receiving government checks every month. That's how they live. Not only welfare, but employment, uh, Social Security. All these people, you know, the 75% of the people in some communities are completely dependent upon a government check. You are not going to get people to vote for less government. Who live as a dependent upon the government. They will continue to become weaker and weaker and weaker as a people. And they will also continue to be more and more covetous. They will they will get so covetous, they will just assume that everybody owes them a living. They don't have to work. Oh, I can't work. I get dizzy. I get headaches. The number of people, and, and this number is increasing all the time. They sit around playing video games and watching TV and doing nothing uh, productive for society. But yet, living off of the checks and EBT cards and the um, food stamps of society is growing exponentially throughout society. Uh, I mean... Just this week, I've I've heard of numerous families. Numerous families. You know, and I'm not out looking for them. They just come across me because of the fact that, you know, they're having problems. Uh, they're not part of our network. But they, they are all living on welfare, living on government checks. And amongst some of them, even though I know the parents are very religious... And very independent people. Not quite kingdom yet. But they have a certain a sense of work ethic. They earn their own keep. They're not looking for government benefits. They pay their taxes. And they are not far from the kingdom. But they don't understand the kingdom that they're supposed to be seeking. Is this system of faith, open charity? That where people actually take care of one another. And you don't have to start out taking care of all the social welfare in your congregation. But you have to start out coming together with that intent. Someday you may completely depend upon each other for your livelihood. Now you don't come with that fear of dependency. Although you may come with that. You're going to have to overcome that fear. You come because you want to save others. You want to help others. You want to strengthen others. Because that's coming in the name of Christ. But they actually gather together. On the radio program where I was guest last night, the, the mere talk about the tens, hundreds, and thousands and coming together in congregations, they immediately, they cringe at that because of the fact they look out and they see the apostasy of the modern church who come together in congregations come together in church assemblies, but they only do minor charity. They don't take care of the welfare. As a matter of fact, some of the people that I came across this week that are dependent upon welfare of the state were signed up through the aid of ministers of the church who didn't provide for these people but help them sign up to the with the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other they actually took them down to sign up with those men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other and they call themselves a pastor of Christ yet Christ said you have seen the governments of the gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other it is not to be that way with you He said that, and yet there they are, actually helping people sign up. I don't want to see people starve in the interim, but if you sign up for any of those welfare systems, you need to start dedicating a portion of everything you do every day towards creating an institution of Christ that is not dependent upon that welfare. You have to volunteer to, be, to help with homeschooling, to help with home health. We have people taking care of elderly people in the home. They need help. It's a huge burden to be on 24-hour call, seven days a week, to take care of the elderly. They need other people to say, let me help with that. Okay, you come in for five hours and you stay with them. And then I will get a break. Every congregation should be doing this. Every congregation should not, if you say, well, there's nobody in our congregation that needs such help. Well, then find somebody in your community that needs such help. And start learning what it means to take care of one another. This is, I can I can give you example after example of how official government practices, such as under uh, Marcus Aurelius, were causing persecution. He had the, one of the worst human rights records for official persecution of Christians. He was a great guy. Talked about responsibility and all this kind of stuff. But he wanted you to do it through their system of benefaction through authority. But uh, his uh, influence over the judges of Rome was bringing persecution to Christians. But in some places, the community said, leave the Christians alone. Just as some of the emperors before that, Hadrian, Trajan, had said, leave the Christians alone. Why leave them alone? Because they were actually an asset to the community. They weren't taking the government welfare of Rome. They wouldn't sign up for that. They took care of their own, but they also had the sacrifice of the red heifer. They helped people in their community that were not a part of their faith, but were maybe decent people, not bad, not evil. Not really understanding the kingdom, but they went out of their way to help them as good Samaritans. And because of that, when persecution came, they said, hey, no, not these guys. Or they hid them. They hid them in their own homes. This is what you need. strategies like what we've seen at Moliere Refuge, extremely flawed. Well-intentioned men, fairly decent men, uh, with legitimate grievance, no doubt. Not understanding the extent of the problem, just feeling the prick of that problem and wanting to, you know, resist it. But somebody needed to come in there and show them the extent of the problem. And that's what we do. We show you what the extent of the problem is. And where Christ said, this is how you deal with it. Because the same problem that they faced today was being faced by early Christians. By the people of Judea. By the people all throughout the Pax Romana history was is repeating itself today and at the time of rome it, it it was repeating itself from ancient times even before that and because you don't know history and you're not taught history in your school you don't understand that you're not you don't learn it in your um churches either they've led you astray so much so that it's even hard to call myself a part of the church Because I have to use the word all these apostate churches use. Church. People say, oh, it's not that word. You know, that's from circus and, you know, church, a a temple, a pagan temple. Yeah, that's where the word is from. But when I say the church established by Christ, when I say his church, I mean a church that's doing the things the way the early Christians did it actually striving daily to take care of the benefits and the needs of one another. That's what gives us our sense of membership, is being His church. And so, anyway, the four factors of a Christian community are membership, influence, integration, and fulfillment of needs, and shared connections. You know, integration. Now, these are these are words that were put together by psychologists looking into what gives us a sense of community. But integration, integrated auxiliaries, you ever hear of that in relationship to a church? What are these integrated auxiliaries? Well, it's like FEMA. Faith Emergency Ministry Auxiliary. It's, an, it's integrated with the church. It's part of the workings of the church. A Friends of His Church is integrated. Uh, at least aspects of Friends of His Church Trust are integrated. They're actually church institutions because they're entirely funded by the church. The choice is entirely by the church. They're not independent charitable institutions going out there soliciting funds. They only receive funds from the church. So they're integrated churches. They're not just auxiliaries. It's very important in today's terminology, legal terminology. But it's part of that, when you you work at that and participate in that, you're investing in that and you're obtaining that sense of community. So anyway, I looked into, and and we've been writing this thing on membership. The first factor uh, is what they call membership in obtaining this sense of community. And a member is an individual thing, an organization, belonging to a group, as we said before. But they, this membership has attributes. And those attributes are boundaries, including the criteria for membership, sense of security and safety, a sense of belonging and uh, identity, uh, personal investment and Common symbols and systems. Okay, now this is what one psychologist kind of divided up. These attributes of membership. But boundaries. So I asked everybody, what were the boundaries of membership in a free assembly? Uh, What would they include? How would people um, draw those boundaries to become those members? To have this mere sense of membership. Because you're not actually members. You're not actually tied together by any contract. You haven't waived any rights to your personal freedom. All your God-given inalienable rights are still yours intact. As far as the church is concerned. Now you may have compromised those in with contracts with other institutions. But you should not be con, uh, compromising those rights of choice Within the church. And from the church's point of view. Now you may make agreements with the church. But then when you decide you no longer want to be in that agreement. You can walk away. Because there's no debt involved. See with the world. They immediately want to bring you into debt. They want to give you a benefit you have not paid for. And now you can't just walk away. Because you're you're in debt. And the reason why you're in debt is because you haven't been keeping the Sabbath. To keep the Sabbath has nothing to do with a day, like Saturday or Sunday or the seventh day of the week or any of those things. Those are the symbols, but that's not the principle. The principle is you work first and earn your rest. The way the world does it is they give it to you now and then you owe them. That's the antithesis of Sabbath-keeping. It's about debt. It's about a way. It's not about a day. And see, that's what you've done, is you've taken free education, but you didn't pay for it. You made your neighbor pay for it. And that you did it with contracts and regulations and rules and, and all these ordinances that people wrote down and agreed to these covenants, contracts, and constitutions, and now you owe the state for your education. We've talked about, you know, the one-child contract in China. That's how they got, they could force abortions. You signed a contract that you would get these extra benefits if you agree to only have one child. Then you all of a sudden get pregnant again, and they come and force uh, force an abortion. Either that or you have to pay back all the benefits. Well, there are people in China who wouldn't take the benefits and they have more than one child. They have numerous children. They never signed the one-child contract. There's not a lot of people like that, but there are people who were industrious enough to be able to take care of their children on their own. And they work together as families in almost every case. Very tightly knit families. But you're not going to be taught that through the news media, they're not going to tell you how that works. You might catch on. <laughs> you might become a Christian. So anyway, that this kingdom of God, this drawing of members, is done uh, by the Corbin of Christ. See, the Corbin of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect because it was using force. But what John the Baptist was preaching was the Corbin of Christ. If you have extra share with those that don't have enough. Now, it doesn't mean to go down and feed every drug addict who doesn't, or, or alcoholic who doesn't want to get sober so that he can get, you know, you bought his food so he has money left over from his welfare check to go buy booze. You provided him with shelter so that he can stay drunk and warm. <laughs> you see? You're facilitating, you're weakening the poor. You know, and if you go to our page on food stamps and everything, there's some videos there of some people who have done some very interesting studies on how we used to handle charity and how it's handled today. It's not just the government taking over and, and not operating by a moral code. Even the charitable institutions that we still have in existence do not follow the same principles and precepts that once helped people get off of welfare. And it's, it's quite a thing to even learn how this works. And how it's done. John the Baptist was teaching people that they needed to sacrifice for one another. With these free will offerings. That helped take care of the needy of their society. Through that perfect law of liberty. Not through force, but through liberty. So, every congregation who does this, and you say, well, there's nobody in our congregation that needs help. Again, you can find somebody in your local community that can need help. And, you know, when the resources are actually slim, you know, you would focus on the needs of your own people. Because chances are, at the same time, they will But why do this and why do it in a national network? Well, so that you will... So the early Christians did this because they had to move massive amounts of their own population during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire from here to there, from there to here. And they had to depend upon one another. Simply a local congregation could be overwhelmed. But in a national and international network, you had resources. That's why you see them, you know, Paul delivering funds from one congregation way up somewhere down to another congregation miles and miles away. And it was, he was actually coming from a very poor congregation of people, a you know, very poor area. And they sent funds with him to help out. So why aren't we doing that within the network? Well, we are to some degree, but very few most are not giving on a regular basis and that's their choice because it has to be freely given but if they don't give neither will they be given to because when when paul went back and visited that place that had given him those funds he found them prospering one of the poorest churches was now prospering how did they prosper By giving away. Because Christ brought a blessing in the spiritual realms that blessed them physically as well. Now, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. Everybody's not going to be able to drive BMWs necessarily. But if you don't care about others, God can't give to you because that would be weakening you. But if you do start caring about others then God will start helping you. And and our ministers will be funded to go around and help more and more people. Teach them how to help one another. We've lost the skills of community. And I can tell you, the skills of community require forgiveness and giving on a regular basis. It, now, if if someone sins, should we cast them out of the free assembly? Well, there may come a point to that. But if, if there's an alcoholic going to AA meetings and he falls off the wagon and starts to drink, well, does that mean he can't come back to the meetings anymore? Well, he can if he sobers up. If he repents tries to come back and straighten out. He can't be at the meeting drunk. But Christ sat down with sinners daily, and I can guarantee you that all those sinners did not stop sinning instantly and never returned to sin. <laughs> there were some that that may have happened. I would suspect that the woman who was accused of adultery... And he said, go and sin no more. I would suspect she went and sin no more in that way. She may have had other issues that she had to work out. But I suspect that she did change her life just simply by the close contact with Christ and his commitment to helping her. But the idea that if someone sins, they can't come back to a free assembly does not fit in to the scheme That Christ came to teach us. The system that Christ came to teach us. He says, forgive them seven times seventy. And this may take a long time sometimes to overcome some of those habitual sins. People getting off alcohol will be off alcohol sometimes for five years, ten years. Something happens in their life and they fall back on. And have to start over again. The second time it may be easier. Because they've gone through more. they have changing. There are ten commandments. And again, most people don't understand. The people are actually not assembling. People in debt. Are not assembling. Because this group. Uses. A different calendar. Than that group. It interferes. With them coming together. Because they have focused on the symbol. Rather than the principle of the symbol. Which is really about, like I said, debt. And if you're taking any government benefit whatsoever, you're in debt. If you're borrowing money to buy a car, buy a house, you're in debt. I'm not saying you cannot do these things. You may have to. In this day and age, it's almost impossible to avoid it. But you need to balance that with seeking that righteousness. He didn't say, become righteous and enter into the kingdom. He said, seek righteousness. Seek the kingdom and the righteousness of God. So, that's a process. So, you may have to borrow money in order to live in a house. That may be, make more sense. But you're going to have to pay the usury and you're going to have to do those things. It isn't a sin to pay usury. The sin is in charging the usury. <laughs> to you, turning your your brother into bread for you. That's the, the real sin. Now, yeah, you should avoid debt. And if you came together as congregations, you could begin... Uh, By starting credit unions instead of banks. And then you borrow money from a credit union. You're not borrowing like you do in a bank. I mean, you're all using debt notes and everything anyway. But the reality is that's a step back in the other direction. You're not borrowing from a bank. Because a credit union cannot loan money for profit. And that's what usury is. It's profit or gain. Now, they may charge an interest... But that's just to cover expenses. It's not for profit. As a matter of fact, the the uh, board of directors of a credit union can't even receive a wage, much less uh, dividends. It's a charitable institution. Much better approach. And that's what you do in Seeking the Kingdom. You form those credit unions. You form those congregations that can come together and start a credit union. And use that instead of regular banks. And if you need to borrow money, the credit union is going to help you do it not to bring you into debt, but to help you get out of debt. Like say, loan you some money to start a business. Loan you money to buy a car so you can get to work. Not so that you can go play and get into debt and get into financial trouble. And if you had a His Church Credit Union it would even be geared more to that because it understands the Sabbath is about a way of getting people out of debt. If you can't get them out of that debt, how can you get them out of the debt of the world? It only with a miracle will you come out of the debt of the world. But that miracle will come as you begin to help others. And this will give you a sense of membership because you will work together as a team based on love and charity, which is the way of Christ. We'll be right back. welcome back Uh, so we're looking at uh, this uh, obtaining this sense of uh, membership and a sense of community and uh, one of the things is the boundaries and most people wanted to set the boundaries at the ten commandments and they certainly are boundaries but membership in a free assembly which is not really membership it's not like you've entered the kingdom of god because you joined this congregation there is no salvation by joining a church. Uh, salvation is a gift. You can't, I mean, that would be salvation by works, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, that isn't, the free assembly is going to include saints and sinners. If you only want a congregation of saints, what makes you think they will let you in? Because you're no saint. You may be striving to be that, but there, but by the grace of God, go I. You need to come together, saints and sinners, in free assemblies in hopes that everybody repents and seeks the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So that boundary for entering a free assembly is not the Ten Commandments. That Ten Commandments is a boundary that shows us the way. And each of us need to learn to apply that in our lives, that we're not going to excuse sin. But then we have to be careful that we do not create sin, symbols of sin, but actually understand the precepts of sin. Honor thy father and thy mother. Again, that has nothing to do with necessarily obeying them, doing everything your dad says. It has to do with fattening and taking care of him. If he's an irate old gentleman... Uh, with um, senile tendencies and Alzheimer's, you may still have to take care of him, fatten him. You know, you don't necessarily have to do what he says, but you have to take care of him because he sits in the se- seat of your father. And so that that that's very important to understand that. And you have to take care of him in a way that you know is healthy and wholesome and strengthens him. Well, the same is true of other sins, like the Sabbath it has to do with trying to live and support your family and remain out of debt. Now you send a kid to public school and you say well I don't have any debt because it didn't there's no tuition i don't I didn't borrow money in order to send them to school, but you are borrowing money because your government is operating on borrowed money." And they are providing this free education, so you're not keeping the Sabbath when you send your kids to public school. As a matter of fact, you're in violation of the 9th and 10th commandments because you're coveting your neighbor's goods. And, And your neighbor's wife even, because your neighbor's wife has to go to work now out of the home in order to pay the taxes and to support themselves. Because they have to pay the taxes so you can have free education and free fire departments and all these other things. You see how the violation goes We always want to reduce sin down to I you know, I didn't actually have sex with that woman. <laughs> it depends on your definition of is. Uh, th- th- no. You've lusted. After in your heart you've already committed adultery. If you coveted these benefits you wanted these benefits that you said were free that aren't free that are all result of debt then you've already sinned so if we look at sin that way who could gather if only saints can gather we are all sinners and we all have to admit that and we all have to deal with that and we have to seek the kingdom of god and his righteousness so how do we do that Help provide home education for everybody in your congregation and other people in your community who may not be congregating with you. If you see that kingdom track, support it. Help them. There's plenty of religious services to go around. That's what religious service is. It's actually a service. The same way with uh, food and uh, help people learn a good diet. Don't badger them with it. But if they want, you know, if somebody's overweight and they want to learn juicing to lose weight, uh, great. That's one way to do it. They want to exercise. Become their exercise buddy. Help them do that. Be of service to others. That's a religious service to help people do that. So that they may, because you're doing that, that they may live and prosper. God will bless you that you may live and prosper. It's built into the system. So every congregation should be a part of a daily ministration. Not just for their congregation, but for in a kingdom sense. And your ministers should all be living stones on living altars that receive the contributions of the people and turn around and benefit others. Maybe they will come into the congregation because they see what you're doing. And maybe they will run interference between you and the people of the world who may come against you, not like you, because of the fact that you're living by faith, hope, and charity. And it's a process. So you, you don't judge any man, why well, he should be doing this and he should be doing that. Maybe he should be. And you can talk to him about that. But don't impose rules upon him. Guide As you walk in the ways of Christ, let that be your witness to others. When the congregations gather together, they should not be sitting around thinking about and talking about every conspiracy theory in the book. They should be conspiring to do righteousness for their community and for the people round about them. To set up a network so that they do not have to oppress the stranger in their midst in order to live. And that will, that effort, that expenditure will give you a sense of community. And a sense of that membership in that community. Because you're doing it together. What will we do this week when we gather? Another one of those attributes of membership is the sense of security and safety. But Christ didn't come to be safe. Christ said He was the light. The light sees things as they are. It shows things as they are. He exposes the truth where nothing is in the dark. You want to talk about transparent government? That's that's Christ's government. People who do wrong often hide from the truth of what they have done wrong. They don't... I mean, Adam and Eve, they hid in the garden. They flee the light that exposes them for what they are. They are afraid of the light. They are afraid of the truth. It makes them uncomfortable. But if you love the light, then the light is your security. It is your safety. The truth help set you free from the darkness that binds you now. But that's that's the sense of security that you get, that you're, the other members of your congregation will tell you as they see it. They will be honest with you. They won't go 18 months without telling you that something's bothering them. They will take the time to tell you that will give you a sense of security because you know that they will be honest with you. That's very important. You know that they they know you're not talking about them behind their back, that you will be open with them, and they will be open with you. They're not going to stab you in the back. They'll stab you in the front maybe, but you'll see it coming. Because they won't sneak up behind you and do it. They will be up front with you. That will give you a sense of security and safety. When I was on the program last night, I told the story again when I first gave the first chapter of the book, Covenants of the Gods, to my father, who was an attorney, and he read it and he said that it was right. That What I said was right, but they're not going to like me. And he told a story, and I didn't tell this on the radio last night. He told a story about when he spoke in front of the Texas Bar Association because he was so high a score on the exam or something, he got to speak as this young lawyer right out of Creighton University. And uh, he spoke on the natural law. Now, he's telling me this story. There's very few stories he would tell me, but that one he was telling me after I gave him this pamphlet. He said he spoke about the natural law. And the head of the Texas Bar Association came up to him afterwards and said it was a wonderful speech. Wonderful talk. He says, but let me give you a piece of advice. Never speak about the natural law to attorneys again. Now, why that story? It's not just a parable. It was an actual story. True story. (laughs) I think many of the parables were actually true stories. <laughs> the the names and dates were changed to protect the guilty. <laughs> Maybe the innocent. But he told me that story because the legal system is not interested in natural rights. Natural rights are given to you by God. They're interested in legal rights. There's no money in natural rights. And here the book, Covenants of the Gods, is showing you How you lose access to your natural rights through contracts, covenants, and constitutions. Through the desire for benefits at the expense of your neighbor. Be careful you do not bite one another lest ye be devoured. New Testament. How many of your preachers in your churches have mentioned that quote from the New Testament? How are you devoured by biting one another? By going to the benefactors who exercise authority. How many of your preachers talk to you about the weightier matters? Which I mentioned on the show last night, but I didn't ever list off what they were. The weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Law, judgment, mercy, and faith. That's the weightier matters. According to Christ waving your rights, losing access to your rights because you went to benefactors to exercise authority, because you coveted your neighbor's goods, you became merchandise, you cursed your children with debt. That's not going to go away because you signed some paper, UCC code or some nonsense. It's going to go away when your heart changes. When your mind is changed by Christ. And that changes when you confront the fact that you need to be like Christ who came to serve, to lay down His life for others. You must love one another as Christ loved you. That is why you gather in congregations and that will give you a sense of security and safety and membership and a sense of community. But you actually have to do it with people you know. And you have to love those who you do not know, who may not love you. You have to be willing to speak the truth, live the truth. And then you will feel secure and safe in the grace of God. Fear not. That is not why you get together. Because you fear. The purpose of Christ was to serve and to save others, not himself. So, the idea of safety, safety is in telling the truth. And Christ tells us that when you tell the truth, they will hate you. So, while there is need for personal safety, obviously, it cannot be at the expense of our neighbor's safety. To do so would contradict, if not defy, the purpose of Christ altogether. To endanger or infringe upon a person or property of others in your assemblies would make the claim of coming in his name become a travesty and a hypocrisy. This is what the apostate church has done. They take his name in vain. They say Christ. They say Jesus. They say Yeshua, Yahshua, Yahweh, Jehovah. But they do not do what he says. They do the antithesis of what he says. They do no more ought for their father or very little for their father. Most of what is supporting their parents in their old age is a borrowing against the future of their children and your children. In a system that is already bankrupt. Why aren't we building homes to help take care of one another? Building an extra room on every home in the congregation so that and, and getting those homes free of debt, free and clear of debt. Helping one another start businesses that make us more financially independent in recession-proof businesses. Learning to work together as a team. It is very clear that being a Christian may not be a safe thing to do in one sense. But we fear not those who can kill the body, but those who kill the soul. They are killing our soul with their covetous practices. And the souls of our children. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. That's the job description. But if we be persecuted, let us be persecuted for righteousness, not for unrighteousness. And what does that righteousness look like? It looks like a society that takes care of itself through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. You, if you have not joined in a congregation that is a part of the net network, whether it's our network or somebody else's network, where you are giving daily to provide a daily administration in faith, hope, and charity of the needy, true needy of your society, your community, then you are not doing a very good job of seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness because that's what the first century church was doing. They weren't going to church to feel good. They were going to church to do good. So, from that, we get a sense of belonging and identity. But whose identity are we supposed to be getting? Isn't it Christ's identity? We often think that a sense of community comes from belonging to the community. But in Christianity, we believe Christ has set us free from belonging to anything but to God. The the God of life. The God who is the giver of life. We must obtain this sense of community by belonging with a community in the character of Christ. Where is that community that has the character of Christ that comes together to serve? Where the church service is actual service one to another. It's not some sort of ritual that makes us feel good. You can go down to the Super Bowl and, and watch the entertainment and you can feel good. You want to feel good, go de- do that. Most churches are getting you drunk on, on religious ceremonies and motivational speaking and all that stuff. We, I, I can't give you that. I got to tell you the truth. You're not going in the ways of the early church established by Christ. What does it mean to come in the name and in the character of Christ? Christ came to serve, didn't He? If, if Christ came to serve, well, I mean, what does it say in Luke twenty-two twenty-seven? For whether it is greater he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat? But I am among you as he that serveth. That's the character of Christ. In John twelve twenty six, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Fatten. Take care of. And that's that's what you, we need to be doing. We need to be health, education, and welfare for our community. And we need to help one another do that. And your ministers need to be men of service. And they're not gathering a congregation to put them up on a clay pedestal that will serve their ego. They need to be actually helping people, which means they will, as many as I love, I also rebuke. Do we come together to serve or to be served? That's the question. The fathers of the earth and the benefactors of the world are are a common purse system filled with the blood of your neighbor. From taking a bite out of one. They are the cauldron. And they are the flesh in that cauldron. Their system is the cauldron. And they be the flesh. If you come to serve, then you will end up belonging to the community of service that is Christ. But if you come to serve in righteousness... Excuse me, I I said that wrong. If you come to be served, then you will end up belonging to the community. But if you come to serve in righteousness and the righteousness of others in Christ's name, and according to His love, then you will be set free, and only belong with the community of Christ. But in Christ you will find your safety and security. In John 17.10 he says, And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And they in me is actually what he's saying there. But we have to come together like Christ. We, have to, we are addicted to an image of the church that is simply not true. And in Matthew 6.19, we talk about it, your personal investment in the ways of Christ. He says, lay not up for yourself treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. That's why your treasuries are empty. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, in the spiritual realm, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We need to be gathering together and become that philanthropic, dedicated community that cares not only for itself, but for those round about them. Now, Amish community, they take care of one another and they're exempt from uh, you know, modern Obamacare. If we were really Christians, we'd all be exempt from Obamacare, which can save you tens of thousands. I know people paying thousands and thousands of dollars a month. That's just crazy. At first, they paid the fine. I mean, these people—some of these people are in law enforcement—they just paid the fine because the 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 amounts were ridiculous, and they're not getting any better. And, uh, you know, you can hope that the election will change all that, but uh put your hope in Christ. Start doing what the early church was doing. And it will strengthen you as a community. Not only give you a sense of community, you will become the community of Christ. To become the flock of Christ is what you want. The word we see uh, translated... Uh, uh, flock or fold in the Bible is, uh, you know, it's actually uh, repeated a number of times. We see in Matthew uh twenty six thirty one Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this right. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad now, when they came and took Jesus, they scattered. they came back together, and eventually they figured out what they needed to figure out. but that word shows up a number of times and and we'll have to save that for the next show, and we'll explain what that really meant, and you'll hear it here on keys of the kingdom from a real shepherd. Until next time, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless.